we got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. If you're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day Podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. Nick Saban gets a contract extension, which means he will coach Alabama for all eternity. What will college football look like by the end of the Saban contract and why the platelets might be ready to shift sooner than you think? And the definitive top 25 preseason ballot mine will be revealed no matter what slings and arrows may come my way this is the college game day podcast for wednesday august 24th i'm reese davis we're going to be hosting this podcast under the college game day umbrella this year pete thamel is going to join me and i'm i'm happy to be able to to get to know you on a more personal level pete so i'm glad to glad to be working with you this year yeah, Reese, I'm uh, I'm fired up. Uh, nothing gets me the juices flowing like week zero when you're combing through that New Mexico State roster, looking for a little <laughs> looking for a little edge. And uh, yeah, like uh, Hawaii Vanderbilt, it, it might as well be like the the '85 Bears playing one of Tom Brady's Patriot teams. Like I am, uh, let's let it rip, man. I'm I'm excited that we're finally here. I'm excited that we're going to be actually talking about college football players more than grant of rights. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, uh, I'm excited to take this journey with you, man. We've got a, we've got a great team that we're, we're going to be able to showcase here and, uh, I'm, I'm fired up to get, uh, to get rolling. Well, before you get too carried away by avoiding the grant of rice, we're going to touch on that a little bit in this podcast, not a lot. And then we're really going to shift toward games when we have a podcast later this week on Friday, when we will make picks against the number set by our comrades in arid regions, and there will be a competition. I think we're, we'll outline this more fully, but I think we're going to compete for steak. Do you like, do you like steak? Are you, are I you love, a, I love steak. I am like a pure carnivore. Me too. Uh, as, as I've gotten older and fatter, um, I've realized the only way I can stay less fat is to unfortunately avoid many carbohydrates and just eat meat. So yeah, like, I like eat red meat four days a week, which yeah, may make my heart explode, but it tastes good. It's not going to, it's going, it's good for you. So anyway, we'll maybe we'll delve into that over the course of the season. Maybe the longevity key for Nick Saban is maybe he eats a lot of red meat. I know that he eats the same thing every day for lunch uh, so that he doesn't have to think about it. Do you, you realize, first of all, I know you remember this. Remember when people scoffed at the idea that Saban would be at Alabama long-term. They, they laughed at Alabama hoping to return to glory. Now the dude is the seventh longest tenured head coach. He acts like he's pushing 50 instead of pushing 70. And I'm not sure of his red meat consumption habits, but I do know this. Unlike almost every, not every coach, but almost every coach I've ever met, the demands of the job, chip away a little bit at them. Every season, every situation, every disappointment chips away and takes a little piece out of their being. Nick Saban needs that like the rest of us need oxygen. So whatever college football looks like by 2030 when his contract runs out, he'll still be throwing the straw hat and threatening uh, you know, to go watch the pigeons uh, do their business on the dock if he can't get them to do it right. I have a great memory of the Saban hiring process, Reese. And uh, so you were, I'd have to look it up, but it was like a four weeks that Alabama's job was open. Yeah. They fired Mike Shula and they had to wait Saban out. And Mm -hmm. it was just to think about that. So whatever, what year was that? Oh, seven, oh, seven. Yeah. Well, oh, six, oh, six, oh, six. And the pursuit was going. Oh, seven was his first season. Yeah. So, I was driving in that Southern footprint before Paul Feinbaum had become uh, an ESPN superstar. He was a very popular, wonderfully divisive local radio show host. And I might've been going from Gainesville to Auburn, but it was, it was around the SEC championship in Atlanta. I was, I was going to see whatever school was going to play that year. And I always say seemed important at the time, but I don't really remember, but I remember I had an hour of Feinbaum unfiltered on like day 14 of this search and 
it was just this like little encapsulation into this meltdown of like what would happen if Nick Saban doesn't come. Can you imagine like the Ohio State job being open for 28 days right now? Or mm-hmm. can you like in a in a in an active time of the cycle? Obviously, like USC fired Clay Helton and that job was open for months, but in an active open search at a job like Alabama, that job being essentially open for a month is mind blowing. Like just to 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 think back as to how that, you know, as to how that unfolded. And I really think like, boy, was, I always say, don't judge the coaching search by the process, judge it by the hire. And I usually bring up the Nick Saban hire in that, in that window. Well, Mal Moore was the athletic director then, and his name graces the football building at Alabama. Now he played there. He was uh, an assistant under Bear Bryant for a number of years, an athletic director for a number of years. And during that search, I was talking to Mal from time to time. And I remember when he first, when we first discussed his decision to fire Mike Shula. And he said to me, and it shows you what I know. He said to me, he goes, well, I want Nick Saban. And I said, Nick, I was like, that would be fantastic. Mal would be an unbelievable hire. But I mean, he I said he left LSU largely because it seemed like he wanted to be just all ball. And he's only been there two years. I said, do you, I said, I don't know. And he said, I think I can get him. Now, in the meantime, he was rebuffed and had Rich Rodriguez hired. He, I mean, Rich or representatives for him. And there are a lot of different combinations and permutations on that story. But Rich had agreed to take the job. Mal thought he was going to take the job. And while I firmly believe two things, Pete, I believe had Rich Rodriguez accepted the Alabama job, he would have won a national championship at some point. I also believe that as we sit here by 2022, that he would not be the Alabama coach anymore. So those are two things. I've, and he certainly wouldn't be a dynasty like uh, what Saban has established. But they, they thought that was going to happen. And, I mean, life comes at you fast because, as, as you pointed out last night as we were texting back and forth, uh, Rich Rod, who both of us are very fond of, has, in fact, made it to the state of Alabama, is now at Jacksonville <laughs> State as a head coach of the Gamecocks and has an entire Spygate scandal going on there, doesn't he? Can we play that clip, Taylor? Pretty good source was true that they had a couple staff members at our spring game, which is kind of like uh, that's not really supposed to happen. But um, no, we're, we're, we're making plans accordingly, you know, if it, so if, they, if they're over there thinking they have our – plays or what have you or signals or something like that we've changed things since the spring then we caught somebody trying to film something the other day and uh first (laughs) my daughter called raquel saw him and then i then we caught him again saw him you know peering through there with his camera and i sent the biggest guy in our programs crew one of our assistant strength coach she's about like six seven three fifty probably benches like uh, a thousand pounds or something sent him up to bleachers to run him out and uh that guy disappeared pretty quick Richard, there, there are so many layers to go through on this story. And, and our buddy David Pollock, as he's going to do throughout the season, is, is joining us now. David, I hope you've heard about this, this um, Stephen F. Austin espionage that Rich Rodriguez believes he's being spied on at Jacksonville State. Now, this, look, we're week zero. This is midseason stuff right here because – Stephen F. Austin, they are the Lumberjacks, and they're not okay if they're sneaking around trying to spy. But let me tell you this. You will not get past the ever-watchful, discerning eye of the former Arizona Wildcat cheerleader, Raquel Rodriguez, when she, <laughs> when she picked up on that. I mean, this is a – Rich Fry's got an entire family, uh, a family business going, watching out to make sure he's not spied on, Pollock. What, what do you think about – what do you think about – Coaching paranoia in midseason form in week zero. This is this is amazing. This means college football is back, baby. I mean, that's the best way you can say it. I mean, the, the, all coaches are paranoid. Reese, are all coaches not paranoid as crap? Every coach you've ever been around, they're they're, they're near delusional. I mean, it's, it's amazing to hear them. It's preposterous at times. And just because you're doing some high school coaching now, I'm hoping that this is not going to turn you into <laughs> one of those paranoid guys. <laughs> not, not yet. No, not yet. 
I think we need like the 007 music uh, in the background here, Taylor, to, uh, you know, I mean, just can you imagine being like the Jack, uh, the Stephen F. Austin assistant who has to fly to Jacksonville State, which is in Alabama, <laughs> not in actually Jacksonville, like the quality control guy who has to go and not wear any logos and sit in the stands at the spring game and tape all the plays. Like somebody had to do that. Like they had to get on a plane or drive a really long way. Like that's that's just amazing effort. And that is that is what makes this sport like wonderfully ludicrous. So Jacksonville State, Stephen F. Austin. I've got an early quiz for you guys. Can you guys tell me a great CFL quarterback who also was a starting quarterback for a period of time in the National Football League who hails from Jacksonville State? Pollock? God. Oh. CFL, my mind always goes right to Doug Flutie, but I know he went Boston College. Yes, Boston College and Jacksonville State are <laughs> often confused. Yes. Oh. What era? Are we talking eighties, nineties? Well, uh, college, college in the seventies, pros in the eighties, okay. and some and some pros in the seventies too in the yeah. CFL. Okay, all right, that might be a little before my time, and it's definitely if it's before my time, it's definitely before David's don't, time. Don't don't you don't you too appreciate the history of the game? I, yes. thought you, I thought you guys were. I thought you guys were into this. I thought you guys were the encyclopedic in your knowledge. Jackson. First of all, nobody claims to be an encyclopedia of knowledge. That's for sure. Um, that's true. Warren yeah. Warren Moon went to Washington. Didn't Washington? He, he yeah. did. The, I'll give you the answer. The answer is, uh, and he was two time most outstanding player in the CFL, but never won a Grey Cup. Dieter Brock. Dieter oh, Brock. Yeah, I was on the tip D- of my tongue for sure. <laughs> but Dieter, Dieter Brock was a great high school quarterback in the state of Alabama, and I think the idea he started his career at Auburn. And I think the idea was that he was going to be the next great quarterback at Auburn. Uh, didn't work Pat out. Pat Sullivan era? Yeah, right, at, right after Pat. Right, It was right after Pat. I think Dieter's just a few years younger than Pat. Is Auburn um, still looking for their quarterback since then? Or what? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I think, I think Dieter's still around. He might still have a little bit to spin the bean in there and, uh, and spin some and go back if he's got a year of eligibility at Auburn. But anyway, I don't know why. I guess because I grew up in Alabama. And you know, those were my formative years when I was, you know, in kindergarten, sure. elementary school. I remember um, hearing about Dieter Brock uh, going to the high school all-star game in Bryant-Denny Stadium and watching um, uh, Richard Todd play quarterback for the South squad against the North squad, who had a quarterback from my hometown who was playing for the North, who went to Auburn and also transferred to Jacksonville State, but it was not Dieter Brock. Anyway, so that's that's your little bit of Jacksonville State history to go with your heaping plate of espionage for the day, too. A little little scoop of Muscle Shoals uh, along the way. Well, this was actually at that time I lived in um, in a small town called Guin that uh, subsequently okay. was blown away by the killer tornadoes in 1974, rebuilt, and you know it was a great time. And that was one of the places where my love of football really started because the first three football seasons I can remember as I was five years old, the first season I remember was 1971 and the Marion County high school red Raiders undefeated state champions. The next year, uh, one loss, but state champions again, lost to a a much larger school. And the third year, again, undefeated state champions. So you sort of, and, and the whole town would shut down and go to the playoff games. They let us out of school or out of kindergarten at noon when we had to, you know, travel, you know, five, six hours to South Alabama uh, to go to the games. So you uh, sort of, you sort of history. get it in your DNA uh, at a pretty early history. age. I'm loving this. Reese Davis, it's time to Bob Seeger and turn the page, please, before everybody falls asleep. <laughs> dude, dude, you don't understand, man. All you, all you young guys think, oh, it's just about today and my fancy social media. And, and, and let me tell you about my workout. You know, come on, man. A little, <laughs> little, little history. Let the people get to know us. That's what, that's what we're going to do. That's what that's we're going to do here. Because now you guys are going to take my uh, top 25 and accept it as the gospel that it is. The gospel. Indoctrinated <laughs> into the gospel. It's good news. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's good news because football's back. So what you, what you got? Where, where are we starting here? Well, Pete wanted to Pete wanted to pick it apart. I think I don't really well, know why. Step up, because Pete. Let's once, go. once you once you get past the top three, 
Uh, yeah, it's a match. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you might as well. I always tell Ralph Russo from the Associated Press, can we have a section of teams that instead of putting them in a row, so if they go up and down, they're stacked on top of each other, that they're they're all like in a column and, and spread spread across because they're all kind of the same. You know, what would your col- where would your column stop from four down? Uh, I'd have to look at the list, but I would say probably 15 or 16, somewhere in there, you know, with uh, with the opportunity for some of the other some of the other teams to, you know, to pop up and and get in there in that next tier of teams, but probably somewhere in that, in that range. Where can we find your attempt at a ballot Reese? Um, there, you there, you know, the, you know, I, I don't think I put it out there. You know, that site that if you vote in the AP poll, there's a site called, and I don't like to give uh, credit to other sites because, you know, we want everybody to come to ESPN.com for everything. Now, Pollock, now you're right. Now we're boring people while we look at this, but we'll, well count on we'll count on producer Taylor to cut all this garbage out. Well, right? Reese, we could also just have Pete check his email because it was in the email that was sent out that had Reese's top twenty five. So Did we could it really? also do that if hey, you'd like Pete. Hey Pete, there's a newfangled thing called email that our yeah. producer yeah. sends out. Here we are. Here we it's are. Really we get great. a lot of emails. I'm new to ESPN. One of the things that uh, everyone asks me, what's it like to work at ESPN? So you get a lot of email. Um, hey, that how is, about this? I don't use the company email. Actually, they took it away from me for uh, non-activity. So I was trying to conduct some business. And in order to verify my employment this week, this ridiculous company, despite the fact that I sent them one of the professional things that is offered through Disney HR to show that I'm in gainfully employed and all of that kind of thing, they wouldn't accept it. You know what they wanted? An official company email address. I'm like, well, it's going to bounce back to you. But anyway... <laughs> I mean, I don't so yeah. That, that that email, let, let me do a word to the life. wise peak. The ESPN email can be overwhelming with hot list and, and this and that. There are a lot of things. A lot of things. Yes. Before we move on, we've got a couple of things going on at ESPN podcasts that we want to mention. First, 30 for 30 podcast presents the longest game. In the spring of 1981, the Pawtucket Red Sox and the Rochester Red Wings met for a minor league game. Over the course of 33 innings, the two teams would make history. This episode features archival sound, an accidental treasure trove of the game's play-by-play broadcast, and interviews with those who experienced it firsthand. Listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. And ESPN, in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions, present Always College Football with ESPN college football analyst Greg McElroy taking a deep dive into the sport with the biggest names on and off the field. With off-seasons being a thing of the past, McElroy goes year-round with analysis, opinions, and insight on top teams and under-the-radar stories from coast to coast. That's Always College Football. Listen wherever you get your podcast. All right. Well, yeah, I have your I have your attempt at a ballot here. Attempt at uh, a ballot. It's the it, definitive it, ballot. It, it probably yes. Clearly, the uh, clearly clearly this will hold all season. Um, uh, that's that's not. Do do you want to know the philosophy and ranking first? Though? Yeah. No. And, and I actually listened to you on Ralph's podcast uh, yeah. while while going for a run the other day, and it was it was it was interesting. The the what I appreciated most about your poll was your willingness to be flexible. I feel like the weakness of polls generally is that something is established and then we have actual empirical evidence, not just like thoughts and projections. And then people are hesitant to make seismic change. And you right. seem to indicate an openness to that, which I, I which I very much appreciate. Well, that's I mean, that's the whole deal, because this is fun. I love the preseason polls because of what we're talking about in terms of getting fired up and, you know, people mad that you have this team there and another team someplace else. It sets the stage, but when you're ranking these teams, the exercise is not trying to validate your prediction. The exercise is to reflect what you see, and a preseason poll is a mix of what you've seen, what you anticipate, and a little bit of gut feel. That's all, but like, look, if, uh, you know, I've got Clemson four. If they can't throw the ball again this year, then they're going to they're gonna drop like a stone and fast, you know, but if if they can, if their defense dominates, then that's something else. So, you know, but I, I do think that that's the whole key is early, especially now in November, 
you know, late October, November, somebody has a sandwich game. They don't look great. Cut them some slack, man. It's a long season and, you know, it's an emotional game. But early on, you got to move them around. Well, and I think what I like about Utah is, and I think people are talking about Utah, is Utah always finishes strong, but they start weak. And they got a game against Florida out the gates where they got to travel and it's going to be, you know, a tough opponent. I'm looking forward to seeing Utah to see if they can kind of cure some of those uh, front of the season L's that they tend to have. Michigan at six is, is a lot higher than I would have them. I, I felt like last year was a was a great season. I love what they did. Um, a lot coming back, but again, you know, I, I feel like Michigan is they were very much riding on the defense, a great defense, an all time defensive end duo that to me were I don't think they're going to be able to replicate. I just don't think they're going to Ohio State. You sacked the guy thirty five times and pressured him six thousand <laughs> times. Like I just. I don't think, you know, you got a first-round pick at safety. I don't think their defense will be as good. Third coordinator in three years. So, I think Michigan, I would, I would immediately have have lower. I like Utah up top. A&M is so interesting to me. Reese has A&M at eight because, I, I mean, you either feel – A&M to me, it feels like everybody's like, sleeper, This guy, the team's going to be really good or this team sucks. <laughs> like, I feel like it's and, – and I, and I keep hearing – well, Jimbo's had talent. Jimbo's not a good coach. He's not maximizing his talent. Jimbo hasn't had talent like he has now. There's a difference when you stack two top three classes on top of each other. And last year, the number one class in the country, every coach in America will tell you, that's kind of hard to screw up. It really is. It's kind of hard to screw up that great of talent. Look at Kirby. Look at Nick. Uh, look at Dabo consistently. They're, they're great coaches, don't get me wrong, but again, it ain't like they're missing with their talent year after year after year. So I, I look for AM to be a team that they don't need to be at eight anymore. You know, you're going to do recruiting this well from now on, Reese. They need to be a team that is in the mix before the season and in the mix at the end of the season because your talent level says that, you know, like that, that's to be something in the future that I'll be looking forward to. I need to see some quarterback play there. Amen. Max Johnson's going to be the guy, I can tell you that. What I saw from Max at LSU, I I like enough to say that he's going to be the guy, and it's going to be way better than it was in previous years. That 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 I can guarantee. Is he is he leading the competition? I've kind of gotten a vibe that that Haynes Haynes King is kind of kind of moved out there. What what? Well, listen. And first of all, I don't talk to anybody. You know that I don't have friends, so I'm not talking to anybody at AM. You have me, David. But from what I've seen from Haynes King, and and listen, it was a small sample size a year ago. Max Johnson can do some elite things when it comes to processing. Max Johnson can do a lot of Jimbo Fisher type things that he wants him to do to go through progressions. Max Johnson will stare down the barrel and get smacked in the face and deliver a strike. And, and I think he's got enough mobility to make plays. I've seen more from Max. So I, I trust Max a lot more, and that's why if I was having to pick one guy that I think I would roll with, I would roll with Max. So to pull it back uh, 30,000 feet, the, the two most interesting teams that I think to rank this year and that, that I was curious where they'd get ranked are the teams that ended up unranked last year, which are A&M and USC. Now, you showed some judiciousness by putting USC at 14, which I completely agree with, Reese. I know my job was to tear your ballot apart, but I need to see (laughs) some kind of heartbeat from that USC defense. I need some kind of sign, some kind of just defensive front presence. I mean, Chip scored 62 on them last year at the end of the regular season. Oregon State, off the top of my head, was in the 50s in the Coliseum. Nolan was running up and down the field. Like, so to me, and I know Lincoln is a genius and I, I am a huge Caleb Williams fan. I think he'll be the number one pick in the uh, 24 draft. Um, I I think there's a lot of, you know, what they've upgraded offensively and skill wise is great, but their offensive and defensive lines. You can't quick fix those spots portal. If there's a great defensive lineman in the portal, for the most part, like there's problems, like there's. Those positions, you can't, I always say you can't microwave your lines, especially mm-hmm. your offensive line. And so uh, I'm, I am still going to hesitate. Like, I just can't get out of my mind how Stanford ragdolled them last year. So you're going to tell me they're going to go to Stanford. Team. 
Yeah. yeah, you're going to go to Stanford this year and win by 21. Like, I need to see it a little bit before before I jump on the bandwagon. And, and the same thing with AM. Obviously, the injury at the quarterback position, you know, sidestep that season. But I still have a feeling, and I agree with David on stacking classes. Like, people ask me what, you know, how will Marcus Freeman do at Notre Dame? Well, if he has three straight top five classes, Marcus Freeman is going to do just fine. Like, mm-hmm. if you have elite talent and you have a quarterback, um, which Notre Dame I don't think has right now, but will. But if you have elite talent and a quarterback, you're going to win football games. It's just it's it's like basic college football physics, right? And so, but I do think like if if A and M, which has a brutal schedule, as as you're always going to have in the West, I just have a hard time seeing them waking up and going ten and two or eleven and one right now. So, as it pertains to USC, and I want to be very clear about how I say this. I, too, believe that Lincoln Riley is an exceptional offensive coach. I do believe that he will be successful at USC. But he stepped into a situation where the culture was built at Oklahoma. Now, did he put his mark on it in some areas? Of course he did. But the culture was built. Bob Stoops built that culture, and it was fine when he stepped, when he stepped in there. He's now taking... Uh, a conglomeration and trying to fit in transfer portal pieces and, and a program that hasn't been tough on the lines of scrimmage, as you alluded to, and they lost six of seven and only one of them was a one possession game and people are leaving and coming and going. And, you know, I, I just want, I know he can drive the Lamborghini. I want to see if he can build one. I suspect he can. But that's why I'm not on the bandwagon of them, you know, as a playoff contender, top five team, all that kind of thing. But on sheer talent, on Williams to Jordan Addison, assuming they can get along and everybody's happy, will they knock off somebody that they're not supposed to? Yeah, probably. But they also might might get clipped by someone uh, they're not supposed to. Because even as, even as uh, good as things were going at Oklahoma, they had the occasional Kansas State, Iowa State problem, and not to cast aspersions at two solid programs, but they probably didn't have any business, um, you know, giving the Sooners the level of problems they did over the last few years. Yeah, and, and he, I, I agree with with both of y'all. Um, now, listen, I think he had the he. I definitely agree with you too, Reese, because he definitely found the parts to the Lamborghini really quickly without having. Well, he he had to pay for some of it, I'm sure, um, but like. I which, think that he which got, Trojan Collective did that? Which which warring faction of Trojan Collectives did that? I'm when sorry. the United United Airlines, Jordan Addison's flying your way. Um, I, I think that uh, <laughs> here's here's what I saw from here's what I saw from Lincoln Riley teams. And again, I'm not being critical. I'm being honest. What I saw was lines of scrimmage that I never feared. I saw skill that I feared. I saw quarterback play that I feared. I saw a system that was really, really good. The further I got away from Coach Stoops, the less nasty I saw, the less toughness I saw with that offensive line, and it continued to get worse to the point last year where they couldn't run the football. They weren't very good, period. So they weren't good compared to their standards. So I do think it'll take um, take some time, and I do think that the lines of scrimmage for USC has been pretty bad for a while now. And I don't think that's a gear that's going to just flip. So I'm, I'm going to wait and see at USC. They're going to have a ton of talent. And they're going to outscore a lot of people, but I don't think they're going undefeated. I think they'll lose several games and I don't think they're going to be in the playoff next. Think, think about this guys. They're going to have 16, 17 new starters at the university of Southern California. And it, we're in a like a completely like college football has changed so much in the last three years. And I really think USC to me is the prototype of this new era where you have imported stars, you have a microwave team. And I think to me, it's a fascinating test of, okay, you can bring in these, these great players, but like, like David said, the culture of nastiness and toughness and like having to go on the road and win a game in the fourth quarter that just importing talent doesn't mean that's automatically going to happen. That was clearly lacking at Clay Helton's USC. So to me, they're, they're the test case of the new era, and it's really compelling. Uh, the new era, too, has, has we've seen David's, you know, has opposed Dabo Sweeney's idea of the transfer portal from the beginning, saying that you have to have it. But you have to have it judiciously because – in almost all cases, and there, look, there are always exceptions. You don't want to speak 
in absolutes. But in almost all cases, someone who is transferring to the next place is doing so for personal gain. And, and I'm fine with that. That's perfectly okay. You've got a very short window as a college athlete to pursue your career. That's okay. The problem comes is if you have too many divided interest on a team. This is not bringing in Jamison Williams because you need one guy who can take the top off in your receiving core. Um, That's a little different than bringing in a lot of guys, all of whom are saying, I need to make this move for me to enhance my draft stock, to get more touches, to do this, to do that. Uh, Maybe in some cases even have better NIL opportunities, whatever it is. It's different when you bring in something to sprinkle in and fill a need as opposed to building your program. That's not to say you can't do it. You can, but I think it takes a a specific type of ability, a specific art of blending personalities. It's almost like, it's like Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson's one of the, one of the greatest coaches in any sport. And Phil Jackson was great at coaching stars, right? Now, I know that that organization largely, uh, at least of Jordan, you know, Pippen sort of built the framework for years. But he was great at coaching stars. I've always contended that I don't think that he would have been so great at doing what Lenny Wilkins could do for 100 years in the NBA and pull five guys out of the Y and a couple of pro-level players and win 50 games over the course of an 82-game season. So there are different skill sets to being able to coach a, a group of stars or perceived stars. And for the most part, the people that are transferring in using the portal view themselves as needing the opportunity to be a star. And are you going to be able to deliver that? And if you can't, can that person then sort of, uh, lessen his own goals or subjugate his own goals for the good of the greater program. And that's an art to be able to get someone to buy into that. I, uh, I agree. So let's go back to uh, ripping your pole. Uh, the, uh, the initial <laughs> attention too philosophical. Here yes, for yes, exactly. This is like Zen and the art of uh, voting with Reese. Um, so here's, here's my quibble for you, Reese. Uh, you have, Two group of five programs or only group of five programs for like five more months in your in your poll. So like like you said on our initial podcast, this will be a validation of why you hate different schools. So why do you hate the little guy, Reese? Why are you ignoring <laughs> Fresno? Why are you ignoring Utah State? What about Air Force, Boise, UC at like why BYU. are you yeah, BYU uh, yeah. is so do you not have BYU on here? I don't. Oh my God! They That's were, what a glaring, close. what a, what a glaring oversight. I think they BYU like is like I told, like I told all BYU, underrated team. Like I told all the BYU fans, they were twenty six or maybe twenty seven, maybe twenty eight. Who knows? So player. I'm going to make a bold declaration here. Jaron Hall will be a top fifteen NFL draft pick come April. You think he's better than you think he's better than Zach Wilson? I will reserve that. I will say this: Zach Wilson. Everybody forgets did it against that COVID schedule where it was a bunch of a bunch of defensive backs who looked like me and Reese out there on the perimeter. I mean, he torched Ooh. a bunch of really Ooh. bad. Pro- yeah, no, 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 no. We're, we're we are not. Just oof. yeah. But, but if you look back at that BYU Ooh, COVID schedule, Coastal was their was their best opponent. They didn't mm-hmm. play anyone because everyone went all conference and it really squeezed independence. So like their second hardest game was UTSA. It was mm-hmm. a lot of. A lot of Troys and uh, some one double. Like it just was not a good schedule. Zach Wilson had the most perfectly timed exit. So could he be better? Yes. Is he now? No. Am I excited to see it? Yes. They have Oregon early. They have Baylor early. And yes, you, you have and they have Utah State and Notre Dame early. Now I think they're they're good, and I'm not trying to predict outcomes here. But if you look at the top of their schedule. Down through October 8th in Notre Dame, four and two would be really, really good. Um, you know, five and one would be exceptional. I can't imagine. And then Arkansas after that, if you want to take it a, another yeah. week. So, uh, you know, I'm with reason. I, I, I try not to, I try not to predict uh, how the outcome 
outcome will be. But that I'll, I'll admit that was a little bit of it. I'm not I'm not convinced they're going to be much above 500 until mid October, and that might not be fair because they're actually going to be actually going to be a, a pretty good pretty good team. But they'll be looking for signature signature wins. I do I do like they've got a lot of experience back, and I like Hall as well. And I wasn't. To be clear, I wasn't challenging the notion that he was good or could be a high draft choice. I, I think he's a, a terrific player. I was just wondering what you thought in relation to their uh, most recent quarterback. Yeah, no, and it's. Uh, I, I think he's going to be one of the the real fun guys to watch throughout the year. And one of the great things about BYU, why I love watching them, is that they always challenge themselves, which is why the COVID season stood out because they didn't play anybody. I mean, they were supposed to play like five pack. Yeah, they tried. That wasn't their that, fault. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it, it clearly wasn't. I'm not blaming them at all. I'm yeah. complimenting Wilson for like not sticking around to play teams that could have devalued his draft stock eventually. Yeah, I, like it was. It was the the perfect escape. It was like the the football version of an Irish exit. I uh, I called their first game that year against Navy in a completely empty stadium, which was totally bizarre. A lot of good tackling in that game, Reese. Yeah, yeah. Was, it was it was tackling optional in that game. But I remember going <laughs> through that through that schedule, and I mean they had a record number of Power Five opponents across. Uh, you know, it was their most ambitious schedule ever. That was yeah. uh, that was undone that year. But they all they all I, I like that too. I'm excited to see them in the Big Twelve. Um, when that comes to to fruition, because I agree with you, they've always done a great job of going out and and trying to get people to play them. Their schedule may be easier some in some ways in the Big Twelve. It may be like they're not going to have Notre Dame, Oregon. Like it's uh, you know, but uh, it's a it's a great program, and they're always going to be great up front, right? Because they have uh, like bigger, older guys who you know they're they're sort of equipped and built to uh, to control the line of scrimmage. But when, the one nuance that they have now that maybe in past years they've lacked is some skill. They have real skill there. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think they could, they could, they could become a big buzz team in uh, September. So I would have ranked them Reese. Speaking of Notre Dame, what do you, what are we thinking about Notre Dame at seven? It's just the ESPN guy trying to hype up the game day game. (laughs) (laughs) See, Pete doesn't know me very well yet. Um, (laughs) I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to be completely candid. I don't feel good about that. I'm not going to lie. I don't feel good about how highly I have them ranked, but if you start looking around, I've got questions about everybody else around them. Um, You know, I, I want to believe in North Carolina state. Um, you know, Baylor's replacing a lot. Oklahoma State is replacing its defense. I, we've already uh, beaten the USC thing to death. So I kind of was I'm worried about AM's quarterback. And, you know, and then they also have some other um, areas of inexperience, albeit uh, replacing, replacing them with talented guys. I think Notre Dame's going to be good. And of that group, I just sort of stacked them on, on top. You know, I, but I'm, I'm not sold that they're, uh, a slam dunk, surefire top ten team. I'm not. No, not and if you do this exercise, that. if you do this exercise at home, you'll see how hard it is. I mean, this is yeah, it's next point. impossible to actually do. If you if you go, because then you're going, okay, well, I got Michigan at six. Well, okay, where are they better? Are they better? I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think it's a hard, it's a hard deal. I, I think I trust, um, I trust Marcus Freeman. I think Marcus mm-hmm. Freeman, the future is bright, but this year, I mean, I, I just think this is going to be a lot. And you've seen a lot of young coaches come in and have success. Don't get me wrong, but you're talking about a young guy with very little experience. If you didn't keep Tommy Reese, I'd be like, dude, no, I mean, there's no shot. Like I just, I would feel even worse about it, but keeping Tommy Reese and, and having the players on board, I think is a great thing. I just think just like all of us, when you're young in your profession to a certain job, I think you're, it's tough. It's tough to learn it. And especially at that job, that's a national brand that requires a lot of you. He's killing recruiting and he's doing a great job. But um, I think this year, I don't, I don't think they'll finish that high. I don't think they'll finish, you know, seven. I don't think they'll finish top 10, but, but I think they will be a competitive team, but offensively a lot of question marks. Um, Obviously the quarterback spot would be, would be number one. Uh, you already have an injury at the slot. You got the best tight end in the country, uh, tailback. Who's the guy? Um, I, I think there's a lot of question marks about this team this year, and I think they'll finish top, maybe top 15, top 20, but they won't finish top 10. You know, I think the demeanor that you bring up with Marcus Freeman 
is interesting. Uh, walk down memory lane again. I mean, think of the head coaches with no experience that that job has chewed up. Um, Jerry Faust a long time ago, Bob Davy now, and then in Charles was Watts. Brock. What's his name? Garrett, Jerry Faust's quarterback. Are we going <laughs> to? No, Dieter Brock All-Star. was not Dieter Brock, Brock. Sorry, what's his name? Dieter Brock. Had you ever heard of Dieter, Dieter Brock? Blue Bombers, Pollock. man. <laughs> no, I okay, neither did I. All right, <laughs> well, you, you guys should you guys should spend should have spent more of your summers watching uh, replays of CFL games on on the old ESPN. Anyway, but I, I think Marcus's demeanor is not that not that those guys I think Marcus has a an aura about him that there is humility there but there is also confidence. Oh yeah. And I think that I think he is well suited to Notre Dame. I've, I've talked to people around that program. He 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 listens to people. He asks the right questions. He's strong when he needs to be. His his demeanor um, and his approach to this job uh, for a guy who'd only been there at a Notre Dame's a different kind of place. And for a guy who'd only been there for a year, he has, he has quickly, very quickly understood what it's about and, and done and done a great, great job up to this point. Um, but and Brian I, I, Kelly, think, I Brian think he's going Kelly, to be successful. Brian Kelly is a heck of a football coach. You can like him, Terrific you can not like him. You can yeah. not like his Southern accent. You can not like a lot of things about <laughs> his personality. The dude knows how to coach ball. I mean, and listen, I, I think the first thing I always hear, y'all always hear, I'm sure, is Notre Dame's overrated every year. They do this every year. I mean, the last two years, Notre Dame's been, I think, nine going in. They finished eight. They were 10 going in the year before. They finished four. They've been right there in the playoff mix the past couple seasons. So, I mean, they've actually been underrated for preseason polls the last couple years, which, which is against the narrative of people that, oh, yeah, yeah overrated. Notre Dame should – they're up there too high every year. I mean, come on, dude. They've been pretty good. Yeah. In the you know interest what? of uh, ESPN promotion, uh, I'll have a feature next week uh, on Marcus Freeman that's going to run on a bunch of our platforms or run on our, our first game day. So I got to spend a couple of days in South Bend. Are you going to make fun of me, Reese? No, I'm just going to oh, remind just... you that it's most important that it runs on game day, preferably first. Okay, I don't. Yeah, I don't have a lot of say in that. I'm just. Uh, I'm just. I'm just making my widgets in the basement here. <laughs> don't. Uh, yeah. <you> know. <laughs> um, it just trying to break like wide receiver coach news. Um, the uh, <laughs> the 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 Marcus. Free, so it was an interesting dynamic to be around that program, be in that building for a couple of days, and just sort of see how it operates. And I feel like there's a comfort in the identity of Notre Dame being very similar. Uh, I would say the two best players on that roster are the two tackles. They're, they're very young. Uh, Fisher's and Alt. Joe uh, Alt's mm-hmm. kid, who is the Kansas City Chiefs' longtime tackle. And the identity of Brian Kelly's recent success at Notre Dame has been anomalous to the identity of most of the playoff games. It has been non-quarterback driven. It has been offensive line driven, and it has been line, you know, line of scrimmage control given. You look at Brian Kelly's success, it's pretty anomalous and amazing that it has come with Deshaun Kaiser as probably the best prospect as a quarterback. Now, Ian Book was a really good player, right? He's the all-time, I believe, winningest quarterback in school history. But the lack of to have that level of success with the lack of diamondism at that position, I think is pretty interesting. And I think we're going to see the same thing this year. They have no tangible skill on the outside at the receiver position. It's just that is a vacant area of that program, and that is going to be a struggle. And I don't quite frankly know if they have a quarterback who could exploit it if they had it at a really high level, like some of these other programs. They have good quarterbacks. They have quarterbacks who need to grow and learn and have a chance. But they are really, if they're going to win that game in Columbus and they're going to have another 10-win season, they are going to win by lining up and grinding over people. They have a very good defense. I think Al Golden was the best coordinator hire of the offseason. I think, I mean, you remember what he did at Temple Reese. That was the single best rehabilitation job of a down. The, Temple was so bad they got kicked out of the Big East. It's hard to get kicked out of a conference. It I don't was, remember anyone getting kicked out of a conference all my years doing this. So, like, It, it was near Snyder-esque. Not quite yes. to that level, but yes. at least in the realm yes no that that if you yes they are they are right there in that so i think al golden being back in college and really 
being able to have his hands on that defense and giving Marcus the autonomy to run the program, to manage games, and to recruit, which he has said, I'm going to be the lead recruiter on all our recruits. So anyway, it was an, it's an interesting vibe and dynamic there. And the there's a the the you know you do this long enough there's buzzwords every year one of the big buzzwords right now is connection right like how do you connect to your teams how do you connect to your staff how do you connect to community fans players and that is Marcus Freeman's gift in a lot of ways he he is a connector and on an elite elite level and he can connect with people in our space he connects with recruits obviously the players. I mean, you can't fake that video that went viral when they announced him as the coach, when the strength coach announced him as coach. like that. I mean, I get chills thinking about it. So there's there's a really interesting, cool vibe there. Now, look, could they go lose by 21 in the horseshoe? Absolutely. Like that's on the table. There's no doubt about it. But you can't argue that other than the Oklahoma State game, everything has gone right so far for for, for Marcus Freeman. And he also connected to the past. He spent a good deal of time with Lou Holtz, which was uh, greatly appreciated by my former partner for sure. And, and he has given him his support as well. Because I promised a few of these things off the top, and we always deliver on our promises on this podcast. I was uh, talking with a, a high-ranking official in college sports and college football. And one of the issues, uh, because we've talked about BYU and Notre Dame just came up, what, what's their conference future, all of that type of thing. More realignment is coming. And the thing that many of the people in charge are weighing is, do you do it now while things are topsy-turvy and already shaken, or do you let it settle down and then have yet another seismic shift? Pete, does this happen in the next six months, 12 months, or five years that the next round of getting, uh, as Kevin Warren said to Bryant Gumbel and others have alluded to, that maybe... SEC, Big Ten are like in the neighborhood of 20 teams each. Reese, I I think it's a fascinating question. And I spend more of my time than I would ever care to admit talking about this with different people from across the country. Think about realignment. It affects everybody in, in some way or another, right? I don't think... the only way that there is an, another wave of realignment soon is one of two things. One is somehow that Washington, Oregon, West Coast wing, which the Big Ten clearly covets, mm-hmm. creates more value. There is not a lot of interest from the television standpoint, it, which means there's not monetarily. And then there's not a lot of in, which means Ohio State, Michigan and Penn State would have to take a pay cut. Yeah. So I really feel like those schools and quite frankly, USC doesn't want to take a pay cut. So right. there's there is a, there is an interest at the highest level of the Big Ten to build out that Western wing. Because there's a convenience mm-hmm. factor, there's a world domination factor, there's an inevitability, as you spoke of, Reese, that it is going to happen. So it's like the old Jeremy Foley, if not eventually, why not now, right? Like right. That, that notion. That said, there is not enough, my understanding from talking to a lot of people about this, is that there's not enough TV value right mm-hmm. now for that to happen. And the Ohio States, Penn States, Michigan's, and, and this is another dynamic there, too, that I think hasn't been talked about enough, Reese. USC doesn't want more West Coast neighbors than UCLA. Mm-hmm. And they want to, they basically own a really unique niche west of Texas. And if you talk to people at USC, there is a distinct sense there that the exclusivity of owning Los Angeles and being on the other side of the moat only with UCLA there means a lot to them. You bring Oregon and Washington in the league, you're inviting them into your recruiting backyard. Mm-hmm. Stanford, Cal, everybody else. So I think one of the reasons they that USC went to the Big Ten was t- as a separator. So why eliminate the separator three months later? So the appetite on the ground does not equal the appetite in the commissioner's office. And then, Pollock, we're going to have an expanded playoff at some point. And when we do, then the question of bowl games comes up. And someone uh, – posited an idea to me that I first didn't like. And the more I thought of it, I thought, well, maybe we can do this because first of all, there aren't too many bowl games. What's wrong with more football? The, the, the weed eater bowl has never impacted the national championship race there. They've been exhibitions since the beginning of time, treat them as such, let your freshmen play, let anybody who's red shirt play, do whatever you want to do with the bowl games, treat them as an exhibition. We can have as many as we want. They're great television inventory. People like them. People watch them. That said, you want to attach a little more significance to week zero. How about playing some bowl games there? Now, I know we're trying to get away from these neutral site games, 
But maybe as a, a week zero type thing that you add a few more big brands in a bowl game. We, Pollock, would you be down for that? It's the best idea I've heard um, when it comes to trying to make bowl games relevant. Because again, what do we need to make bowl games relevant? We need a product on the field and we need people to give a crap. Like, guess what happens when you're week zero? Everybody thinks they're really good. Everybody thinks they got a chance to win a national title. Everybody's going to play. Like all the star players will play. All the teams will be engaged. It's a new season. So I, I think that it would be really good. But it's funny you say that about bowl games because we know this. We see the numbers. So many people watch these freaking games. It's and by the way, guilty. Because I ain't got anything else to I do. Watch them all, man. And just, it's just like with I get a kick out of people that, you know, if they pay these players, I'm not going to watch. Really? What else do you have to do? Yeah. Do you what remember the FCS game from Montgomery that was on ESPN yeah. during the COVID year? It was two FCS teams. I watched that game like it was the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. I think if it's more games, we're going to watch it. I, I, that's the best solution that I've heard. Expansion is coming. It's just a matter of time. I'm, I'm with it. I'm, I'm for it. Like, I think expansion to to four has. I don't think it's hurt our game at all. I, I think it's. I think it's helped our game. So um, I think it's interesting how big. The, the only thing I'm really curious about is how big the conferences get and how many do we settle on. Is it two and they're ginormous because you know Pete talks about that moat between the SEC and the Big Ten. Which please stop using the word moat on television. There's my first advice for you. you know, the <laughs> chasm or. You know, how, how about how about anomalous? He double used anomalous earlier. Yeah, I mean, either way, that that would be great for not to hear that. Ever What's wrong again. with moat? Who uses moat in their everyday vernacular, bro? <laughs> he talks I'm about a moat vernacular Pete. just to show you that Georgia educates too, Pete. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a moat. He wants chasm. Who uses yeah. chasm in their everyday language? Oh, uh, but <laughs> anyway, chasm or chasm? It's it's hard hard see sound there. <laughs> so, so I think it'll expand. I think that'll be great. I'm not, I'm not opposed to that by any stretch of the imagination, but I just, I'm, I'm interested to see where we land, whether it's two, you know, super duper, uber conferences or it's, you know, three, you know, pretty big conferences, but I guess we'll figure, I guess we'll figure that out soon when Pete gets out of his basement. Well, I t- <laughs> and, and so with that gentlemen, we can, in future podcasts, turn our attention almost exclusively to games. And as it pertains to watching the games, you don't think I'm going to be watching Mustard and Brown against Big Burt Bielema. And I've said Burt on purpose because that's like an inside joke for a number of years because of he spells Brett with one T. It looks a lot like Burt. So we affectionately refer to him on the game day set as Burt. So I'll, I'll be watching Burt against Brown and Mustard. Charlotte and FAU. FAU oh. quarterback, real quick, real quick. Who's the FAU quarterback? Oh, I should know this. Oh, man. It's one of those you could play a game. Is he still playing or is he not? Is it one of Willie Taggart's Chase. FSU guys? Chase. That, huh? Is it Chase? No, that's Appalachian one? State. Oh. But he's another. Nikosi Perry, I believe. Yeah, yeah a, it is Nikosi Perry. Yeah, wow. he had a big it game against Charlotte Perry. last year, so you'll see him yeah. again. He see can scoop. Yeah. Hey, this has been fun, guys. We're going to do this all season. It's going to be great. Peace. Enjoy the games. Thanks for listening to our College Game Day podcast. We'll be back with a new, fresh, pick-filled episode on Friday. Talk to you then.